The Ute Conference Football 14U Division will allow players the full high school experience with high school rules, unlimited weights, and real football. Tired of rec league competition? Sign up today at UteConferenceFootball.org. Let's compete. Let's play. Andy Bailey joins us now. He covers the NBA for Bleach Report and the Utah Jazz for Forbes.com. Andy joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Andy, good morning. Morning. How are you? Excellent. The draft is almost upon us. Is Zion Williamson going to be all that? Or is he going to be a little limited? We're going to look back and say, well, everybody knew he didn't have a perimeter shot in the way the NBA is going. What were they thinking? Why did we all buy the hype? Just because he dominated college hoops. Well, um, I, I I think the answer for me is he's probably going to live up to the hype. It's kind of hard to believe because it's it's a hype machine that we haven't really seen since the LeBron James draft. So it's a lot of hype to live up to. And the concern that you just laid out is very, very real. I mean, guys who can't shoot just have such a difficult time surviving in today's NBA unless you're like seven foot two and can block everything like Rudy Gobert or dunk everything. Um, You have to have very, very unique physical traits to overcome that. And I think that's what Zion has. Uh, Simmons is another guy. Ben Simmons is another guy who can't shoot, but for the most part, he overcomes it with his ridiculous physical traits. Now we've seen both of those guys more or less be kind of schemed out of the playoffs uh, at times in recent years. So there is some concern there, but, the physical traits that Zion has, I've just, I've never seen anything like it. Um, it's like version 2.0 of, of what we saw with LeBron when he was in high school, that the size and the explosiveness is just, I've, I've never seen a combination like he has. And, and then for a numbers guy, like I kind of am, um, the stuff that he did in college was unprecedented too. I, one of my favorite numbers that sort of throws everything into one number is box plus minus. And the best one on record prior to Zion Williamson's season was something like 18 from Anthony Davis, which is an insane number. And Zion's was 20 this year. I mean, he, he did a little bit of everything for, for Duke. Block shots, steals, um, obviously a, a fantastic rebounder. I think he has some playmaking chops. Uh, he has a chance to be kind of a point center, I think. It, it'll depend on how the Pelicans develop him, but there are a lot of very interesting and unique traits with him that I hope can overcome the lack of a jumper. I think he's probably still going to have to work on that and get to be like at least an average shooter. But for for all the different things that he provides, I do think he probably lives up to the hype. We keep hearing that this draft isn't very deep and there's a few guys on the top and then other points, whether you get to four or five or wherever you decide in the order of the draft, that guys become interchangeable. With that in mind, do you think that would lead to more maybe trade action on draft night? Yeah, I, I think there's that aspect of it, and I think there's the fact that it seems like just a general arms race is about to tip off here with what happened to the Warriors. Um, this is one of the most unique end of the seasons I think we've ever had. And I was just talking uh, to another Bleacher Report writer last night. The finals just ended. Uh, it's been six days now. Yesterday it was five days ago. It, it's just crazy. It seems like we are right in the middle of free, free agency. We're, we're barely on the heels of the finals ending. And the unique situation is that this team that was a dynasty for half the decade and seemed invincible 
all of a sudden is going to be missing two of its four best players for most, if not all, of next season. And then the team that knocked the dynasty off doesn't even know if its best player is coming back. So <laughs> I, I can't remember the last time the NBA felt this wide open. For a long time, the foregone conclusion was the Heat. Uh, then it was the Warriors after that. I guess there was maybe a little bit of parity before that, but but then we had the Lakers with Kobe and Pau Gasol, and it just it just seems like this is a very unique um, sort of different situation than we're used to in the NBA, and I think a lot of teams rightfully see what just happened and think this is our chance. We've Maybe we're a team like Boston, who has a bunch of first-round picks. Um, can we package those and, and, and be more aggressive? Now, obviously, Boston is just a name that come to, came to mind. They obviously have plenty of other problems all of a sudden. Um, but there are a lot of teams who I think can rightfully talk themselves into, let's, let's see if we can get through this window, because who knows how long it'll be open. It's, it's going to be a really crazy few weeks I, like i said i feel like we're in the middle of free agency and we're still like a week and a half away from the official start of it so when you look at the draft do you think because everything is wide open everybody's trying to improve right now we're going to have a lot of draft night trades because drafting a guy is a five six seven year proposition and everybody is swinging for the fences for the 2020 playoffs yeah, I think there's going to be a bunch of movement, and that's all these rumors that we've been seeing this week. I think a lot of them are draft related. It's teams that think, "Hey, can we move up in the draft, or can we can we package a couple of these picks and get a guy who can help us now?" Like you said, a, a draft pick, especially in a draft like this, could take quite a while to develop. Um, obviously, every year there's some guy who randomly you know, gets picked in the 20s or the late teens or something like that and, and hits, and it, it, it suddenly the draft doesn't seem quite as shallow as it did at the time. Um, but it's hard to predict who that guy's going to be. Right now, it really does feel like a very, very top-heavy draft, like you said. So I would not be surprised if there are a lot of teams that are exploring every every option that they have, and that could even include trading out if, if they can get a veteran guy who can help them right now. So I'm reading all this stuff about Hayward in Boston, and one of the theories is the locker room was destroyed because Brad Stevens wanted to give Hayward every benefit of the doubt along the way, and that ticked off everybody thinking, okay, he had this major injury. He shouldn't automatically inherit his starting position when it was clear he wasn't ready, and they believe that's because those two had the relationship, and it tore apart the locker room and therefore guys are leaving they're bailing left and right what does it all mean for Danny Ainge as he tries to clean up this mess it's uh, first of all yeah it does seem like quite a mess um and I I'm not really sure how you clean it up other than to just say okay you guys can go we will build around this young core that should still mostly be intact um I I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both took fairly recognizable steps back in year two. Maybe you can get them back on track with bigger roles in in year three. I still think both of those guys have a decent amount of potential. I think Marcus Smart is still a pretty interesting player, and he can't be older than, I don't know, 25, 26. Um, So you've got an interesting young nucleus there. And it's crazy to think this because they just signed him a couple years ago, but they're already maybe at a point where it's, we're just going to have to wait out the Hayward contract. Um, and, and I've seen some ideas thrown around about maybe even trading him. And 
And that might not even be possible unless you attach some kind of a sweetener to it. Um, so the state of the Celtics really is crazy. I, I just looked up their over-under win total from before the season for an article that I was writing uh, yesterday. And, and I think it was in like August of 2018. Their over-under was 57 and a half wins. Um, everybody thought this was a title contending team and that it was going to be a title contending team for the foreseeable future because they had a youngish superstar in, in Kyrie Irving. Gordon Hayward was going to be this great complimentary player for him. Al Horford was like the ultimate team guy. Um, and then you have this sort of young nucleus brewing underneath those guys. And then all of a sudden it, it's just been imploded uh, right in front of their faces. All the Al Horford stuff yesterday was, I don't think terribly unexpected, um, but you just, just another interesting domino to see fall here. And back to your original question, <laughs> if, if I'm Danny Ainge, if I can't find a taker for Gordon Hayward, you obviously just kind of run with, with what you've got next year. But I think the, the general goal at this point is we're just building around Tatum and Brown now. Let's, let's see if we can find guys who kind of fit around them and try this again in two or three years. Not everyone thought Boston was a lock. Somebody thought there were too many shooters and not enough shots. Shooters. Shooters. Too many shooters. Too many shots. Not enough shots to go around for all the shooters. Shooters. Too many shooters. Too many shots. Not enough shots to go around for all the shooters. Enough shots to go around for all the shooters. I hope you have that keyed up basically every day. <laughs> yeah, y'all can play it. He's got, he knows right where it is. So, team that has uh, um, that is set up for like the Boston is being completely overvalued. Jazz fans hope it's the Lakers. We don't know what the rest of the roster is looking like. Are they getting set up to be overvalued? Or with the two guys they've got, as long as they're healthy, which is a question mark, but as long as they're healthy, they're good to go? Well, I, I think a lot depends on what they do with the remaining cap space. Uh, this, <laughs> it would be interesting to hear from sort of uh, an observer of the front office. I don't think you could ask Rob, Rob Polinka directly, but it would be interesting to ask someone in there. Did they know, did they know the implications of getting the trade done on the sixth versus the 30th and how much cap space that could potentially mean? Um, because all the scrambling that they're having to do now to create a third max slot has been like a Keystone cops routine. It's, it's been pretty funny for me to watch and if they create that third max slot and they they sign a third max guy then it i I, to me the keystone cops routine continues because there was that report from Woj yesterday that he said they're trying to buy as many second round picks as they can well if your roster is anthony davis lebron james third max star and a bunch of veteran minimum players and a bunch of second round picks uh we we just saw what a problem no depth can be in the finals. I mean, when, when Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant went down, the Warriors were understandably not the same. Um, you, you probably still do it if you've got the right third guy coming, but I kind of lean towards use, whether it's 23 million or 32 million, whatever it is, I would 
if I'm in their shoes, go after some depth. Maybe I sign three or four guys who can be plus rotation players, maybe in that eight to nine million a year range. Um, now, obviously, I'm I'm not the one making those calls, and I'm not sure we can trust that front office to do that. I mean, they went out and tried to fill out a roster last year and signed Lance Stevenson and Michael Beasley and Rajon Rondo. They, it was like somebody drew up a list of the guys you should not put with LeBron James after they signed him. And they said, all right, let's go get all of them. Uh, so I wouldn't, I don't, I don't know if I would trust them to go that route, but if it was me, I, I would try to build out a little depth because that top two, like you said, is very, very good. I, I think when you have a top two, that's that strong, you don't necessarily need a big three. Those two guys with a bunch of shooting is is a very very dangerous combination. I just who knows which combination they're going to go with. It's it's going to be funny to watch them for the rest of the yeah, summer. Too. I think you have to go with depth because if you sign a max player as a third player, automatically you're not getting the value because he's not going to produce yeah. at a max level. So by definition, you're not getting the value for your money. So you need to take that money and go get some lesser players who are going to be worth the money that you give them, not give some huge money to some guy to come in and be a third wheel on a team that is going to focus the two other guys. And if that guy comes in thinking he's all that, then he's not going to be able to make it. And there's going to be all sorts of friction. And if you get on LeBron's bad side, you're gone. That's a fact. Yeah. So I wouldn't do that. I would yep. spread the money out, try to get as many quality players. I'd already, I would look for Kuzma to be my third guy, and then I augment the roster that way. I, I think you're exactly right. I, at this point, the smart thing to do is to just go out and find shooting. Um, but that was that was the smart thing for them to do last year after they signed LeBron James, and they <laughs> they intentionally went in the opposite direction. Um, I, I don't know how much influence Magic Johnson had over it. He was the guy that they sent out there to explain that bizarre strategy. I mean, there was that weird interview with him at Summer League last year where he basically said, shooting is overrated. We just want tough guys who can dribble, basically. Um, so maybe I, we can trust them a little bit more to go out and, and surround this team with shooting. Um, but but I don't know. Uh, the, the obvious, or at least obvious to me, solution is you've you've already got maybe the best pick-and-roll duo in the league in LeBron and Anthony Davis. Just flank those guys with a bunch of shooters, and you'll be fine. But we'll, we'll see which direction they try to take this thing. Andy Bailey covers the NBA for Bleach Report and the Utah Jazz for Forbes.com. Who do you think the Jazz will draft? Who do you think they should draft? Or do you think they're going to trade up, down, or out, and it's ridiculous to even worry about the 23rd pick because that's not what they're going to end up doing anyway? Well, I think they probably have a pretty solid draft board, regardless of you know how confident they are in a trade. It seemed like the Mike Conley thing was pretty close a couple of days ago. Um, haven't really heard a ton of movement on that front lately, but I would not be even remotely surprised if they do trade this pick. However, um, there there are some interesting options for them in that mid twenties range. I know I earlier said this is a very top heavy draft, but there are those random guys who hit in the, the late teens and 20s, and I think there are a few here who could potentially do that. Um, Grant Williams is a guy that's very interesting to me. He didn't have great shooting numbers in college, but I kind of liked his stroke. Uh, I think he's a guy who can develop into a decent shooter, and then all the other stuff that he does is is really interesting to me. I mean, he blocks shots. He gets steals. He defends all over the floor. I think he has some playmaking chops as, as sort of a playmaking four. So he's interesting to me. Um, Cameron Johnson is a guy who 
His age scares me a little bit. Uh, he was a fifth-year senior at North Carolina, so he's already 23 years old, and and that's always a little bit worrisome. You you like the guys that you draft to be able to dominate as freshmen, uh, and if it takes them four or five years to dominate college, that's usually a red flag. But this guy can really, really shoot. Um, the the stuff that I've seen on him and some some of the statistical deep dives I've done on him is he is just a ridiculous shooter, and at six eight and a half, six nine. Uh, if, if he's a guy who's just playing 15, 16 minutes a night and just spotting up for three, I, I think that's an interesting weapon. Um, Lucas Amonich is interesting to me, uh, another guy who could maybe have some playmaking four chops, some, some shooting ability. I'm, I'm looking at a lot of guys in that range. Um, but I, just, I just think a playmaking four is something that could really help Utah right now. I know most people think the biggest need is point guard. But I'm still of the mind that maybe you can just put Donovan Mitchell there and surround him with a bunch of positions or we'll put a bunch of positionless guys between him and Gobert, and that sort of solves your issue. So I, I like those sort of combo forwards that can do a bunch of things, guard a bunch of positions, and I, and I think there are some interesting options in that range for that type of a player. Andy, we appreciate a few minutes as always. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys.